Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hi, this is Anne-Marie Zanzel here, and I'm very excited to welcome you back to another episode of Fair Business Success. And we have Anita Navar on the show. She identifies as pansexual, and she is an artist, excuse me, a professional artist of 20 plus years, specializing in high-end custom artwork, celebrating sex positive diversity and expression. She also holds exclusive art retreats that are customized to the client. Some of these retreats have an element of coaching for clients desiring to become more empowered in their self-expression. Anita, welcome to the show. For having me, Anne-Marie. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you here. So tell me a little bit about your queer journey. Well, my queer journey is an interesting journey, and it all started with me being raised in a doomsday cult. So the first half of my life up to my mid-20s was really being repressed and not knowing who I was. At that stage, I wasn't an artist yet, and I was really, I was, like, I just didn't know what was going on in the outside world with me or with anything else. So when I ran away from that cult, then I started to explore who I was, my sexuality, and all these things that I was never allowed to feel came out, and that's how I became an artist. So along the journey, discovering you know, a lot of my clients were the LGBTQ community and kink community, and they naturally gravitated to my art because it was all about that sexual expression and being empowered. And then for me, discovering I was queer didn't come till later in the journey. Mm-hmm. How old were you? I was in my 40s. I'm still in really? my 40s. I'm nearly 50. <laughs> and it, a lot of things just added up on that journey. And I I questioned things earlier on in the piece. Like I was married. I've got a couple of kids. I was living, you know, the, the, the usual hetero life. But there were things that I was attracted to or feeling that I just repressed because growing up in the cult, that was all sinful. That was taboo. And oh, so, sex is sinful. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> you know, and, and it's so homophobic. So you don't, uh, you know, you don't want to identify with that. Even if you have feelings, you just push it to the side. No, that's not happening to me. So I guess it wasn't until later when I was really comfortable with those feelings and I started to really look back on things that I didn't understand. And then they all just made sense. So, you know, people that I was attracted to, you know, at the time, for instance, to give you an example, I remember I people used to always say to me, why do you always pick men that look like girls and wear eyeliner and nail polish? And so I would be attracted to these quite eccentric feminine men, beautiful men, and I didn't understand it, but I realised along the journey 
that it actually even wasn't about the person. It was just about me being attracted to creative people, to all sorts of people, to the essence of the person. And I just didn't fit into the heteronormative spectrum, really. Mm-hmm. I was trying to as a mother and being married in the cult, but I just didn't. And so it was a process of acceptance that, hey, this is who I am. I am, And that's freaking okay. And I just threw in my power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've like done any research on me or anything, but I do a lot of work with people who are coming out later in life. That's where my first business was. So I completely understand everything you're saying. And I didn't come out until 50. So I really understand that journey. And also like trying really hard to fit into the heteronormative world and never quite doing it, but not understanding why. And yeah. it wasn't really until I, you know, came out as I'm, a, I identify as a lesbian. I came out as a lesbian did I realize that that was it was the not so missing piece you know and once I realized once I claimed my sexual identity I, everything else started to fall into place in very quick succession after after because I became aligned with who I am and who my true self is yeah and I love that because I feel exactly the same that's what's happened mm-hmm. to me And especially as an artist and the progression of my art and the people that are attracted to it, because I now realise that I'm queer and I've accepted it. I mean, the queer community always identified with it before, but it's even more powerful now because there's such a soul message behind it. And I embody it as well as the people who are coming to my art as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a powerful force indeed. It is. So tell me about your business. Okay, so I am a full-time artist and I specialise in, I call it erotic pop art. So it really is, it's kind of like Andy Warhol with a kinky twist. They're portraits, they're very dynamic and it's all about most of it is sexual expression. So it could be, you know, the kink community and they might be somebody who wants to be painted in pup play. That's their, that's what their essence or that's what resonates with them it it could just be something a beautiful naked pose an art nude but it really goes along that lines of liberating people to freely express themselves in their sexuality or their gender identity Mm -hmm. and so okay so I have a lot of questions when you escaped the religious cult (laughs) how did you find art Now, were you allowed to be an artist in that cult, but more in a pedantic way? Or when you finally left, is that you, I believe you said that, you know, art became a way of self-expression dealing with all of that rage you must have felt. But like, how did, how did art help you to learn more about yourself? First of all, did you, were you able to practice art at all when you were in the, the doomsday cult? I was always an artist. So from the beginning of my life, I always remember I was painting, drawing at school. I'd enter all the colouring competitions. You know, anything I could get my hands on, I would create. So mm-hmm. I'd chop things up. And and so the art was always in me. It's just that growing up in the cult because our focus was to get other people into the cult. So we were told that the world was going to end, Armageddon was coming, everybody outside of the cult was going to die, and our mission was not to be on this earth to do anything that was considered a selfish pleasure. 
it was to get convert people right so that they could survive Armageddon. So I repressed all of my artistic abilities and I didn't do with anything with it until I ran away. And that's when I was able to really use it again and then bring up like everything that I'd repressed, it just became the therapy that I could put onto the canvas. Mm -hmm. And then the natural progression from that, which was a beautiful thing, was that after I had healed, that therapy then became, my artwork became a powerful force for other people to actually express themselves and heal. So, so I was always an artist. I was born an artist. I think, people, sure. are born, I think people are born artists. Yeah, I really absolutely. But I think people can learn to be artists, especially if it's been suppressed when they were younger or they were told when they were six, they didn't know how to draw by an art teacher and, you know, that killed it for them or something like that. Yeah. Um, now, when in, before we started recording, Anita told me that she was a dentist. All right. So how did you become a dentist? <laughs> I know this is interesting, right? So I have so many facets of this journey and like recreating myself yeah. and creating these new worlds. And again, when I was in the doomsday cult, we weren't, no, we weren't allowed to, <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed to get education because we were told, why would you, why would you get a degree? Why would you be anything when the world's going to die? Like you're not going to need, apparently we were going to be perfect. So you don't need to be a doctor or a dentist or anything because we're all going to be perfect. Then that will be obsolete. Anyway, I was a dental assistant earlier on in the piece. And when I ran away, I decided to go and get a degree. And I thought, you know what? I know the dental world. I do love it. It's quite artistic, like when you're sculpting a tooth, it's kind of like sculptures. It's that fine dexterity. You know, I love people, so being with my patients was just a beautiful experience in helping them. And so, so I, it's not dentistry that I did; it's a dental degree. But I was an oral health therapist, so technically we did dentistry for children and we drilling and filling, and then cleaning and periodontal care for adults. Right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so. So I did that for, and I juggled that with my art. So I literally wore two hats. I had the professional hat and then I had the rogue anarchy hat with my art. And so I would go into the surgery, I'd work on my patients for three, four days a week, and then I would come out of that and I'd put the rogue hat on and I'd travel around with my art to like the kink festivals and, uh, you know, sexuality expos and exhibit doing that. And then one day I just, into my 40s, I just knew that my passion and my purpose was the art and there was this bigger soul mission there. And then the dentistry just wasn't in my heart anymore. So I felt the fear. I flicked this high income and I was earning a lot of money in dentistry. So it was, you know, at the time I wasn't earning any money from art, but I just knew in my heart that I had to get rid of this dental role to actually make my vision and my dream happen with my art full time. Did you come out before that or after that? After. So it's only, yeah, it would be only recently in the last sort of few years that I well, really started expressing that. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense because, my goodness, haven't like you were living two lives. Yeah. You were living this dental professional life and then this kinky artist that was doing all kinds of types of um, erotic art. Is that a good word for that? And, and yes. things like yes. that. So you're doing all that stuff and then you're going to your nine to five job and being very conservative and being a dentist and stuff like that. It's exhausting to, to, to live two lives like that. 
It really, really is. And it makes a lot of sense that once you finally said, you know what, I'm an artist, I'm just going to do this full time, that you finally discovered, oh, yeah, I'm not straight. I need to go out and explore this a little bit more because I'm definitely not straight. And so it makes a lot of sense that like all that, like sometimes the sexuality piece comes first and then other things fall into place. But other times it's more about career or something like that that comes. And then all of a sudden people realize, oh, wait a minute, I have to really think about this heteronormativity and if this is really who I am. So it makes a lot of sense that you did that. Yeah, it does. It was very freeing and liberating in so many ways. And yeah, I, I came into my own when I left the dental world. And when I finally left, I'd been doing that for, you know, I started when I was 16. So I'd been in the dental world for nearly 30 years. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, that's a long time. And I've been doing the art for over 20 now, probably about 23. So you went from, you went now into creating this business. And so tell me about different aspects of your business and what you do. Besides, so I, yeah. Because you do, you do, you do commissions, I assume. Yes. And, but you also teach people. So tell us what else, you know, tell us various aspects of your business. So I started where I was really just painting for myself and putting on private exhibitions or joining group exhibitions, doing big expos and traveling around the world doing that. So, and then I realized that the commissions were a huge part of being, because people loved my work, but they wanted something of themselves to express themselves. They don't necessarily want a portrait of somebody else. Mm-hmm. So. I then started doing the commissions and that was just so powerful. I get those coming in all the time. I only do so many a year and I really get to work with the client one-on-one to capture their true essence and, you know, their kinks or whatever it is that they want to express and and liberate themselves with. Mm -hmm. So I do those high-end commissions. I still travel around and exhibit. I mean, I'm planning to do RuPaul's Drag Con in LA next year. So I do. Yeah, I love the bigger exhibitions, like the LGBTQ community, like the Mardi Gras, the King Festivals, the drag, you know, conventions, things like that. I'm not so much into the general, and I don't know if you know much about the the stock standard art scene, but, you know, the gallery sort of, I call it an art wank. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not into the art wank scene. I like the underground alternative, the real people just... Yeah, I love that full uninhibited self-expression. And it's so colourful as well. It's so vibrant and it's the energy is so powerful. So I still travel around and do that. And then the retreats are something that is only fairly new for me at the moment. I've been doing those in the last couple of years. And that's because people were requesting either to have tutoring with painting, they want to create something themselves, or I actually go away and I do exclusive retreats where I create the commission for them on the retreat. So it's just one-on-one. It could be one person or a couple. We go to a beautiful location anywhere in the world and we spend a week together and just really immerse ourselves in this. And then they get their commission that way. So they're... Wonderful. Yeah. So it's for me, and and I've got a merchandise line as well. So that's another aspect. So really for me, I just go where I'm divinely led if it feels good and there's a you know people are really responding to it, which they do when it feels good for, for you, um, 
I just go with that. And it just seems to uh, happen divinely. And yeah, so that so really takes me. It sounds like you're really trusting your instinct. Yeah, absolutely. And that is one thing that I've learned on this journey is to, because I spent a lifetime ignoring my gut feeling, ignoring my heart and really just, you know, repressing everything that when I came out of it, I now learn to listen and I know, I know what I'm feeling. I know what my gut's telling me. I get those, you know, intuitive nudges and I listen. Whereas before I never used to listen and the Mack truck would hit me. Whereas these different, you know, recreating my life so many times and look, there were failures in there and trauma and, you know, so much happened. It wasn't easy, but it taught me to to trust and to listen to myself and believe in myself along the way. Mm-hmm. So what is the biggest challenge with your business? Honestly, social fucking media. <laughs> <laughs> I have this love-hate relationship with it and I... As an artist, it takes me out of my Zen space. So when I'm painting, I want nothing to do with anything else around me. I want to go into the bubble and I want to create. So for me to have to muck around and turn on a camera and think about, you know, what can I put out? It really, it doesn't always work for me. So my social media is few and far between. I'm not prolific with it. And The other thing that I found that was difficult for me with social media, which at points I had given up, was censorship because, Mm -hmm. you know, being in the spaces that we are, you know, social media doesn't like that. I can't speak freely. I can't post the images that I want to post. I constantly get banned. I get warnings. I get shut down. Like I get, and it's just the most frustrating freaking thing in the world. So, Mm -hmm. yes, that is my biggest challenge. (laughs) I'm still working on it. Well, you know, and and it's funny because um, I teach about social media sometimes, and sometimes it's just finding the right platform for you. Mm. You don't have to be on every platform. And there's ways around where you can show your art and be very suggestive without showing absolutely yeah. everything, you know? Have you ever, I'm just curious, have you ever thought to outsource it? Like to pay somebody to do your social media yeah. for you? Because sometimes, yeah. so one of my pieces of advice, if there is something you <laughs> you absolutely hate it, I can tell. If there's yeah. absolutely hate, you know, finding somebody to do it for you might be really something that you should look into, like invest in that because it's not something you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I had put some thought into that because I've got a couple of drag expos coming up and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get a social media expert to come with me to film it, look after it, and I can just do what I do best and I don't Mm -hmm. have to think about anything else. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, I would, you know, um, it's funny because there's things I don't like to do and I would rather pay somebody. I would, like you said, I would muck around with it for a while and then I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is dragging my heart down. I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. I am not a huge social media person, but my, my, I have an assistant and she, by the way, who went to DragCon last year. um, Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, she did. Um, but she um, she does my social media for me because it's just not my it's just not my ballywick. You know, yeah. I'm very good at running Facebook groups and being on Facebook and stuff like that. But like the posting to Instagram, the posting to TikTok, all that stuff like that. 
Not my jam. <laughs> I feel you. I'm with you, sister. I'm not my jam. Um, so what are you most proud of, Anita? I am most proud of the fact that I never gave up and I invested in myself. So, you know, any tangible success, that's great. And it's great to see the fruits of your labor and the seeds that you've planted. But Definitely for me in those dark times when it looked like it was hopeless and I wondered what the hell I was doing and I was wasting my time and family or people didn't believe in me or didn't understand and made me feel like shit. I never gave up. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm most proud of is that I invested in me, I believed in me and I got back up every time I hit the deck. So what I hear you talking about is resilience. You are Mm. resilient. What is your piece of advice for somebody who is listening today who may be just at their end of their rope or they've been trying to get their business to work and nothing's working? I mean, what would you tell them? My What worked for me and the best advice is that, one, just keep going because every time something doesn't work, you know, people can look at it as a failure, but it's not. It's just something that you can cross off the list and go, okay, that didn't work. What's next? What did I learn from that? What's the lesson? How can I be better? What's next? And just keep trying and trying. And I think the biggest thing in there is that there is so much in your face in terms of advice, right? Every time you go onto social media or somewhere, someone's got a new fandangled thing or do this, do that, go here. But And you can get overloaded with that, especially with them when things aren't working. So for me, it was just pulling back, again, trusting in my gut, my heart, what feels good, what brings me joy, and just going for it, even if you don't even know the how, just go for it and see how, how it goes. And look, there's always going to be people that tell you So believe in yourself because there's, and keep going because there's always going to be people that tell you, get a date, get a real job. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. And your vision isn't their vision. They're never going to understand, right? You've got the vision and the dream because it was given to you. So I learned to block out anything else that didn't apply to me. Anybody else that, you know, didn't understand my vision, they didn't need to. And I just went for it. So Look, I've had millions of failures. My God, I've been standing on street corners, like crying with art next to me, with nowhere to get home in another state, with things falling apart. You know, I've had days where I haven't wanted to get out of bed because I've felt like it was just a total disaster. So, you know, it's it's a journey, but just keep going because that perseverance, that belief in yourself and that investing in yourself, it will pay off. Yes, absolutely. I love what you said, Anita. So how do people find you? I am on most social platforms under my name. Not doing any of them particularly well, but I'm there. So it's Anita Navar and Navar is spelled N-E-V for Victor A-R. And mm-hmm. also my website, anitanavar.com. So it's all easy because it's all the same name. Can I ask you, do you ever do, I'm really curious, do you ever do commissions from photos? Oh, yeah, that's how I work. Yeah. So my questions, because my my market are the celebrity, LGBTQ and kink scenes. And so generally what happens is if I do a commission, somebody, I always do a consult appointment first. So we talk about what you're after, you know, what you envisage, if you have any photos that you love of yourself, we work from those. If you don't, then I organise a photo shoot and we capture something absolutely amazing to work from. 
So I'll get that photo that we decide on together that we love and I'll create something around that. And so it works really well because the person doesn't need to be in the studio with me. Mm-hmm. Other than we do a photo shoot, we, they don't need to be here. It's not like live painting, mm-hmm. but photos are brilliant because I can capture and manipulate and when you look at my work, it's very pop art. So there's a lot of, you know, shadows and sharp lines and geometric shapes. So I can actually work with a photo really well to create everything around it. Mm. That's really good to know because it's it's if people are listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to commission something. It, it's easy to do. And so it sounds like the best way to get in touch with Anita Navar is to go to her website. <laughs> and it is spelled Anita with Navar with an A-R. So Anita, it was wonderful to have you on the show today. I'm really, it was really interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Emery. It was wonderful chatting to you too. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA plus businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.